Hello, and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett, where we talk about all things financial, focusing on helping you plan, keep, and grow for a successful future. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're tuning in again, welcome back and thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. Today, we talk about what happens to your accounts after you're gone. Paperwork needs to be signed, beneficiaries need to be contacted, but what actually happens? We'll walk you through the process as well as discuss common mistakes and pitfalls that can easily be avoided if done correctly. Every situation is different, and these are just general tips, but if you have questions about your specific situation, please reach out either by phone or email. My name is Garrett Smith, and we look forward to having you with us today. Well, welcome back. Here we go again. All right, let's get started. Today, talking about what happens to all the accounts in the event of death. It's going to happen to all of us. Sure. Yeah, that's one thing that's certain, right? Wasn't there somebody said there's two things certain, death, death and taxes, taxes or yeah. something like that? Yep. Mark Twain, maybe? I don't, I don't know. know. It probably goes a long ways back. I think those two have never ceased to not be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the reasons this is coming up right now is we have had a, a couple of clients recently pass away. And so we're kind of going through that process with the, with the heirs of, um, you know, kind of walking them through what to do and how things work. And so we just thought it's a good subject to, to, to discuss. Yeah. And wanted to kind of lay out how different accounts act and, you know, what, what parts come into play, how the money flows and, and the instructions from there. Um, because, uh, you know, once, once you're gone, it's kind of set at that point. Yeah. It is, it is what it is. You know, any change, there's, there's not much tweaking afterwards that can no. happen. And, um, so I think probably first thing we should start into is just general retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks, any Roth IRAs. Um, those are treated uh, differently than like a joint account. But I think if we start there, uh, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, and those are those are the most uh, you know those are the most straightforward ones I would say because yeah. uh, those. Those type of accounts all work off of a beneficiary designation. Now, a lot of people think if they have a trust, that 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 the trust will kind of dictate uh, where the funds go. But that's that's not necessarily the way it works. If the if the money is titled in the name of the trust, then that is true. But um, retirement plans have, uh, you know, they all have beneficiary designations, and so. Uh, the the beneficiary de- designations will determine where those funds go. Yeah, and that supersedes any other written instructions. Right. Whoever's the beneficiary listed on an account, uh, you know, once again, these are typically IRAs, 401ks, names that have uh, individuals on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, a, like a retirement account can't be owned, generally speaking, by a, a trust. It's got to be owned by an individual. Um, and uh, so th- those accounts, whoever's listed as the beneficiary on there is the one that will inherit uh, the dollars. And there's some interesting rule changes over the last few years about this 10-year distribution rule. So if you have an IRA, mom passes away and there's three kids that are listed on it. If there's required minimum distributions, those continue. But also the dollars in the account need to be fully pulled out over 10 years uh, 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 post death, mm-hmm. they they need to be all all the way out. Which is complete opposite of what it used to be. I right. mean, the the buzzword twenty years ago was a what they called a stretch IRA, and it's basically, um, you know, just stretching these IRA dollars out 
you know, basically until the person who passed away would have been 115 years old. So, you know, you, you go from, uh, you know, stretching these things out an average of 30 years and compressing it down to 10 years. So that brings in a lot of more, you know, tax planning that you have to kind of work through and things like that. Yeah. And it, because usually if you get extra income, usually the inheritance hits in your higher earning years. Mm-hmm. You know, generally speaking is, mom or dad are passing away, you're, the, the children are older in years, mm-hmm. probably earning more money in a really high tax bracket. And then you have this IRA that's now triggering, if you have deferred tax dollars in there, that's adding into the tax burden. Um, and so this is some planning that now with this 10-year rule, we are getting ahead of with our clients to maybe minimize that impact if that's going to be passed on to the kids. You got to, you know, really have to think through and make sure it's not a surprise to anybody about how those dollars are going to be taxed and when, because it, it can go from a really efficient tax bracket to a really inefficient tax bracket if someone's in higher earning years uh, and paying higher taxes than, say, mom or dad were, grandma or grandpa was. And the other thing that can complicate that is sometimes we'll see uh, people have their trust on as their beneficiary or their IRA, assuming that that's the way to do that. And that's, you know, you really want to avoid that unless there's some, um, you know, special needs interests or some things like, you know, just an unusual situation. Uh, maybe you have a child that's um, not good with money and, and they're, you know, would, would just use it improperly. And uh, But generally you want to name individuals as, uh, as the beneficiaries, for example, if somebody has four kids, um, the you know mom or dad passes away, the kids inherit the money, it's going to go four ways, and and then each of those children can determine how fast or slowly, to a certain extent, to take out the the funds. If the trust is named as the beneficiary, then all the money's got to go into the trust, get taxed, and then distributed to the kids, and so it just piles up that uh, that tax burden. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's obviously going to get taxed a lot more aggressively if that's the situation. Well, and that's one area that we were always encouraging uh, clients to be is the sooner the dollars can get separated between the beneficiaries, the better. Yeah. You know, if, if that that's where most of the conflict comes in is is pre division, mm-hmm. <laughs> because once it's in everybody's name, then they can make the decision which best for them and right. their, their family or kids are, and taking their personal circumstances. Uh, and that's why another reason why we're big fans of having individuals named as, as the beneficiaries on these retirement accounts, because then it's just clear separation and kind of how it works through our office is, is um, when somebody passes away, we get a death certificate and, and start the process to open up accounts in the name of each of the beneficiaries. And if there's four of them and it's split 25% to each of them, then you just, take the holdings and split it 25% and put it right into their account. And then you work with that individual and say, what do you want to do? Do you want to continue? Do you need, you know, and then you can start the planning process over with with that person in their specific situation. And it doesn't matter what somebody else is doing. Right. And, And that's a really clean break on those accounts, which is, which is a good thing because that's where the family conflict comes in is if somebody's waiting on somebody else to make a decision or there's, you know, kind of, conflicting goals there. And so to get those into everybody's accounts and then make the decision about what they, what the beneficiaries want to do individually, uh, just relieves a lot of stress on, on a family. Sure. 
So those are the you know IRAs, 401ks, um, those retirement-focused accounts, whether it's Roth or, or just a, a traditional IRA. Um, those, those rules still apply. And, and so you know it's always worth, anytime we sit down with clients, we're always reviewing beneficiaries because those change. Sometimes there's, you know, occasionally a beneficiary predeceases you and you need to update that about what you want to go there. And, or, or maybe a kid's having a rough time and a lump sum of money might not be the best thing for them at the time. Right. Or, uh, but you can also add uh, charities or um, different organizations as beneficiaries. It doesn't have to be individuals. Right. And that can be a great tax-efficient way of passing some money on to a charity uh, if, if that's your intent to leave a, a taxable IRA <laughs> to to a church or a charity and uh you know they could be great benefits of of that especially for large estates that's a, that's a those are good funds to to put to a charitable organization because they are taxable uh if there's plenty of other dollars uh in addition to the ira money um you know we, we have people that'll set up foundations and the the ira will go to the charitable foundation and then and then be distributed over a period of years to, to different charitable organizations. And that's a, that's a really good planning tool also. And that's one thing we always remind clients of, of whatever you want to have happen can happen. We just got to make sure it's in writing and it's clear before you go. Right. <laughs> yep. You know, it's whatever scenario you want to dream up or do, you know, can be accomplished may need to, you know, bring in some more detailed language, particularly in a trust account or something like that. Uh, to make sure that the rules are clearly laid out and, and probably a really big discussion with your successor trustees. But, but really anything is possible. It just needs to be done clearly before you go because undoing or rewinding something is. And then kind of updated fairly regularly. Yes, you know, at, least, at least every year you need to kind of uh, take a look at it and see if anything's changed. Right. And I think that kind of leads into kind of another other classification is is kind of the non-qualified dollar, mm-hmm. the money that's outside of these retirement accounts. So these are joint accounts, trust accounts, um, accounts that are held just in your own name. Um, they're, they're the ones that you're paying the capital gains taxes on or the ordinary uh, income tax on that kind of is, you're paying the taxes as you go, if you will. Um, and, and one nice thing about a trust is is you can lay out what you want to have happen uh, in the event of your death. But trusts only work if they're funded. Right. So you need to get, you know, usually it's best to get your home in the name of the trust as well as your investments accounts in the name of the trust. If there's no assets in the name of the trust, well, it's, it's kind of worthless. <laughs> yeah, for point. example, if you have a, if you uh, recently set up a trust and, and you've got your investment accounts, let's say there's a $500,000 in investment account and it's, it's, uh, in joint tenants, uh, you know, if you pass away, there's just two, there's just two like people. Other, you know, yeah. Uh, names listed on the account. Then it, it's, you know, it, it's going to go to the person who was surviving. The trust will have no impact on that because the, the title of the account was not put into the name of the trust. So funding, if you have a trust, make sure it's funded, make sure that your, you know, your assets are, in the name of the trust, because titling's really critical when it comes to, you know, the flow of money after death. And one good thing to check on the home, obviously, you know, when you, if you're setting up a trust, discussing with your attorney uh, about the best way to go about this. But if when you get your property tax notice uh, every year, 
just looking how that's titled on there is a, is a good way to see if what's mm-hmm. going on with the property. You know, is it in an individual's name? Is it in the name of the trust? You know, how is it titled? It kind of helps clear up those, the real assets side of the balance sheet. And then, and then the, uh, you know, investment side, you can just look at your statement. What's the name on there? You know, is your trust, there's usually going to be your trust name as well as the date that the trust was formed on the account. And that's how it should show up in the titling of the account. Um, and that, you know, just, that's always keep an eye on that. That's the way that it is. And then the instructions can follow based on what the successor trustees are guided to do in the name of the trust. And, you know, I think this brings up one point too, is you may, may also get, let's say you have three or four investment accounts for different reasons. And, and, you know, two of the three are named in the trust and the other one's held just in your name. Generally speaking, that that third one still has to go through probate. You got to get right. a judge. You got to get it signed off so it can then be pulled over uh, into the name of the trust or, or whatever the instructions are there. Um, so it just adds a complex layer into the planning process of not getting these accounts all the way titled into the name of the trust. Right. And as, as far as uh, a trust account from from our perspective, you know, it's a little bit more complicated to get the distribution done on a trust account than it is uh, an IRA account because, you know, we have to send in the trust documents and, and have the back office look at them. And, you know, it's just, it's just more of a process. Um, We have to make sure it's the latest trust and that the trust wasn't changed and that everybody buys off on who the trust, you know, successor trustee is. And so it is, it is a little bit more, uh, complicated than the beneficiary designations in retirement accounts for sure. Yeah. And that, we always appreciate an introduction to the successor trustees. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we're already working with them. You know, we like to work with multi-generational families. That's always our goal is uh, to, to work with the kids as well as the parents, just because that allows us to build a lot of continuity in the retirement plan of kind of maximizing that estate tax and investment plan idea. Um, but an introduction about, you know, who you're talking to, knowing the professionals in, in, in everybody's life so you can make that contact and it's not a surprise when it happens. Um, and, and that can be done, um, you know, either with full view of accounts and what's going to happen oh, and how sure. much money's there or, um, you know, basically just, just introductions with no discussion of you know, what, the, what, what funds are available and things like that. It's, it's really, the privacy issues are really important. Sometimes people are reluctant to uh, let their kids kind of know where they're at, uh, which is completely fine, but just having the introduction and the beginning of a relationship there is helpful for sure. Yeah. And I guess maybe touching on this point of, of what's your opinion on one trustee, successor trustee, two, do you name all the kids? Mm-hmm. Do you name one? Do you... <laughs> You know, that's always such a, (laughs) such a, such a tricky situation for sure. Um, you know, just personally, um, you know, my dad's uh, getting elderly. He's, he's 83 now. And I used to be the, the, the sole, uh, uh, trustee, but he just kind of redid some things. And, you know, I just thought I, I don't, you know, even though I'm the probably the best equipped of the siblings because this is the business that I live in. Uh, I ask him to put my brother on as a, as a co-trustee and mm-hmm. that way, you know, w- we'll be kind of working through it together and, and, and it'll just, you know, reduce my anxiety about 
how do my siblings feel about what I'm doing there? <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, you know, it depends on how many kids. I mean, I'm the second of 12 kids, so it's it can be a little bit complicated there. But um, but I think, you know, for the most part, it's probably if it's going to be kids, uh, it probably should be two. Uh, you could also think about just a professional trustee, your CPA, your attorney, um, in conjunction with one of your kids. That's another acceptable way to get a professional trustee in there. That's if you don't have anybody in the family that's that's reasonably adept at financial matters, uh, you're probably better off with a with a um, you know a professional trustee. <laughs> yeah, as well as I think bringing a professional trustee can be beneficial in if you always have siblings that always disagree. Right. You know, we've, we've seen that where mm-hmm. just two people can't get on the same page. Right. And so bringing in a third voice or another voice to help navigate that. Also, maybe somebody who's uh, maybe a child or a beneficiary that's not uh, in the best situation to inherit some money mm-hmm. and could use some guidance. I think a professional trustee and especially in a situation of, of uh, you know, special needs. I think a professional trustee can go a long ways in there. And obviously talking to an attorney um, and making sure those the wording is is in the trust document so that it's in a way that you you know you want it to go because the 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 successor trustees are just there to help execute what's written in the trust. It's not like they make up whatever mm-hmm. they want to do. Right. You know, they're just following the instructions that are in the trust. And um, and so I you know well, it's, it's really critical to make sure you do have a trustee that's competent enough to follow those instructions. They you know there's a lot of uh, legal liability if you don't follow the instructions of the trust and somebody complains about it. If you you know kind of skew things your way just because you're the trustee and think you can get away with it, that is uh, that's a big no no. And you you want to make sure that you don't have somebody doing that 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 maybe doesn't know better. Yeah, I think we, we see that situation start to creep up is, let's say, uh, mom is the only one that's left, having a really hard time. The successor trustee, everybody knows who it is, it's one child, and they start spending mom's money to take care of mom, but there's also kind of some rollover benefits to help that successor trustee. Mm-hmm. We're going to the store to get some things for mom and me, and we just put it all on mom's card. Um, and, and so I just think if you're the successor trustee, do everything in your power to keep your stuff and your parents' stuff or whoever it is separate, Yeah. Be, you know, be as clear as you can, um, about how the funds are flowing. Um, because you just never, there's no reason to have that disagreement, right? You know, just keep those as separate as you can. Um, you know, it's, it's mom and dad stuff and your stuff and they are just, in separate buckets. Yeah, fi- family dynamics are complicated enough. I mean, you throw you throw money into the mix, and it can get uh, it can get sour pretty fast. So be careful there. Yeah, so I think that's kind of highlights uh, the major accounts and kind of how it works on our end. And and it, like anything, it's a process. Uh, you know, typically those IRA accounts go a little bit faster because mm-hmm. the instructions are there. Um, trust accounts uh, and especially joint accounts or accounts in your name. Those take a lot longer if you need to get a judge and attorneys involved. Um, but, uh, but just setting up those accounts and working through the distributions takes time. It's not a fast overnight situation for your successor trustees. And, and I think if you can kind of have that in mind and, and coach the beneficiaries, whether they know dollar amounts or, at all, or um, it just that it, it's a process. It's mm-hmm. not an overnight event. Uh, and, and to you know keep on it and keep working through it. But uh, there's no... 
it, it just doesn't happen as quickly, especially once you get an insurance company involved. Uh, sure. Usually there's longer payout periods. You need to submit the paperwork and uh, funds need to be verified before any payout happens. Um, so just keeping in mind that, that it's a process. And if you're the successor trustee, stick with it. Uh, it's, it feels like there's always one more form to sign. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, <laughs> hang in there and just, just keep at it. <laughs> yeah. And eventually it uh, eventually it happens. Sometimes it, depending on how many moving parts and how many accounts and how complicated it is, you know, sometimes it goes pretty fast, month, you know, sometimes it takes six months to get it all taken yeah. care of. So, yeah, but, you know, we're, like obviously for our clients, we're, we're here to help you every step of the way. Successor trustees, beneficiaries, you know, we want, want to be involved and help you make it as smooth as we can. Um, I think that's was the major areas wanted to touch on that it's a process, not an event. Um, but every place has a, something to go. And with the biggest caveat of if you want something to happen, you can. Just make sure you do it while you're competent mm -hmm. and healthy. Make sure all the changes. Are and then right. review regularly. And then review regularly. Yep. All right. Okay. Till next time. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for tuning in and listening to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, visit us at ascendinvestment.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter to keep you up to date. See you in the next episode. Kessler, Norman & Ride, LLC, DBA, Ascend Investment Partners is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where our firm and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Ascend Investment Partners unless a client service agreement is in place. The opinions expressed in this podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice, performance data, or recommendations that any particular security, portfolio of securities, transaction, or investment strategy is suitable for any specific person. This program is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. All opinions contained in this podcast are subject to change at any time without notice. To determine which, if any, investments may be appropriate for you, please consult with your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this podcast is not guaranteed of future results. As always, please remember that all investing involves risk and possible loss.